Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The goal that was set by the president of getting 100 million people vaccinated in the first 100 days is quite a reasonable goal. On the vaccines, you just drove home that point of how important it is to get this out there. I want to play some tape here for you and, and get you to clarify when U.S. taxpayers can expect to get their vaccine. At least 100 million COVID vaccine shots into the arms of the American people in the first 100 days. 100 million shots in the first 100 days. You know the goal that's been set, which I believe is entirely achievable, is to have 100 million people vaccinated in the first 100 days. And I get the fact that by choosing a number of very targeted communities and populations that we felt we should start with, that would create uh, a slower rollout and a slower ramp up then you would see where you just took big groups by age and said, go. But I do believe at the end of the day, we made the right decision out of the gate. This has been, <laughs> this has been uh, a very enlightening day for me today. I, it's a tale of two press conferences, Alice. One was Charlie Baker's press conference, which mm-hmm. he's the governor of Massachusetts, on the COVID-19 vaccination roll, vaccine rollout. The other was Joe Biden, essentially his COVID-19 approach, et cetera. And then he did a Q&A. <clears throat> Joe Biden presser just wrapped up. Start with Charlie, Charlie Baker. <laughs> I noticed that when Baker was speaking and then when the, um, when the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts was speaking, that interdispersed, is it dispersed? Interspersed. Interspersed between um all of the science and all of the data and all of the heavy healthcare information i needed was the word equity and equitable and equity and equitable and communities and equity mm-hmm. and equitable again and again they couldn't give it up they simply couldn't give it up and I thought, that's interesting that's not really a scientific term equity hmm. and equitable why are they talking about this equity and equitable so after they did that and it said equity and equitable about 84 times uh, the uh, Mary, is it Mary Lou Sutter's? Is that the health I'm person? I'm not sure. Sutter's, the health person for the state of Massachusetts, introduced a fellow named Michael Curry, and he, she introduced him like this. It's a privilege to turn the podium the podium over to Michael Curry, who's the president and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers. So that was interesting. Okay. Here comes Michael Curry. So. Community health centers that, mm-hmm. that make sense. Clinics throughout the Commonwealth in, in uh, different communities. Right. And then Michael Curry began speaking at the COVID-19 vaccination task force update. There is a reluctance in the communities where I was born and raised in Roxbury about this vaccine. And I want to urge people to trust the science, to get the facts, 
to not trust the misinformation that they get on social media and that they hear from, in many cases, their home countries, their home communities, and to know the facts about this vaccine. Because when it's their turn, when it's our turn, when it's my mother's turn as a 76-year-old woman with two-plus comorbidities, when it's her turn in, time, in line, I want her to trust the science and listen to her primary care provider. Okay, and that made sense to me. So in the, in the uh, a lot of marginalized communities, uh-huh. I think Michael Curry says uh, black and brown Latinx communities. BIPOC. There is, yeah, there is a reluctance to take the vaccine. Right, well, because there's, in general, a mistrust of sure, and, how they've been right. treated by the so, system and, I understand and all that. that. And yeah. so there's this reluctance to take the vaccine. So that made sense to me. And that's been problem. We've got a problem with the rollout here in Massachusetts. And this is a big reason why. Over 20% of this, of the vaccine, is reserved for certain communities. Mm-hmm. Now, that's about as scientific as Michael Curry got before he went full tilt and exposed exactly what the priority of this vaccine rollout and our strategy um, to fight COVID has really been about. I've had the honor and privilege of serving on the Commonwealth's COVID-19 vaccine advisory group and can say with great certainty that equity is and will continue to be front and center in the state's carefully considered rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. Front and center. Front and center. Equity is front and center. Oh, good. We know that our black and brown communities have higher rates of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths from the virus. Too often, up to three times higher rates in black and indigenous communities of color across the country and here in Massachusetts. With that stark data in front of us, we understood that an equity lens needed to be applied at every stage of the rollout. An equity lens is applied at every state of the rollout. Every stage of the rollout. An mm-hmm. equity lens. Mm-hmm. So now this is a disease which is killing old people. That's who it goes after first. But with the equity lens attached, it's not simply that we're going to protect the old people, the most vulnerable, people 85 years and up. No, 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 right. no. There's an equity lens. There's going to be a lot of resources and a lot of this uh, mobilization that is focused at Elsewhere. Secretary Sutters often says in the first phrase, we knew it was imperative to start with our health care workers for two reasons. We needed to ensure their continuing ability to manage this pandemic. And because many of those who work on the front line in health care roles as personal care attendants, medical assistants and home health aides are also people of color. So some health care attendants who aren't front facing, some of them who are young enough, et cetera, are not actually at risk, and you don't need to give the vaccine to first. Really, it should probably be the vulnerable and old. But now we're looking at healthcare workers of color are now a priority. Now, if you're somebody who's front-facing and you're, you're absolutely needed to be, the obviously, the people executing the care for COVID right. patients, that's understandable. But that's not what I'm thinking... This is limited to. That is also the case for other populations prioritized in this phase, phase one. Individuals experiencing homelessness and living in congregate care settings, including the incarcerated. I want to. Homeless. The homeless. (laughs) Now. Homeless and incarcerated. And incarcerated. Who are generally young men. Generally. Right. And homeless. Well, it gets. I'm sure it's, it's, it's all over the place. But these, because a inequitable amount of those groups mm-hmm. are black and brown, they're going to get the vaccine, even though many of them are not at risk right. for dying. And to state that, as Secretary Sutter's pointed out, we did something different than much of the rest of the country. Our prisons, our jails are overpopulated with too many people of color. Is this about the vaccine anymore? <laughs> is this, it, I, I don't know if any of that is science that I just heard. And, and if this is health data that I'm hearing, this is pure uncut social justice that he's talking about right, right. now. This is woke health care he's talking about mm-hmm. right now. This is not the point of beating this pandemic back well, right now. and 
Uh, was Charlie Baker making the point earlier that uh, this was going to slow down the rollout <laughs> a bit, that they were going to focus on which groups got what? There's a lot to come, Alice. Believe me. Okay. That is the lesson of today's first press conference. <laughs> okay. And that's an ongoing issue in this racial reckoning that we're trying to address. Is the- Can you address it away from the pandemic? Yeah, maybe- can you make another press conference for that, please? Right. This is madness. This, we're we're going to work on the racial reckoning. Now's the time. But the world's on fire. No, we're doing it now. This is insanity. The overrepresentation of black and brown people in our prisons, but we know that they're at risk. And too far often our black and brown and Latinx communities are being impacted, and we need to take that in consideration. And face... This guy is on the team that makes the decisions. Yeah, he of, runs all the community health centers, apparently. Right. He's on the task force. He's right there with Baker and everybody else. No wonder why every other word Baker was saying was inequities today. Two, we focus on seniors and individuals with two or more comorbid- comorbidities with additional allocation for those communities with higher prevalence of the disease. You hear that? Mm-hmm. Additional allocation. Um, and social vulnerability. Social vulnerability. Oh, I didn't realize That's that. That's a trick term right there. Yeah, so you can have comorbidities or you can have social vulnerability. We know from looking at the data that the cases of COVID-19 infections for black and Latinx individuals are worsened by underlying conditions such as hypertension, diabetes, and asthma. Now, these are things that it, I would say that I even have possibly yeah, so. a couple of. Maybe not diabetes. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But um, in, in, in some circles, I'd be called fat. I don't know about that, honey. So, so these conditions that he's talking about right now, mm-hmm. these are – I'm fat because of me, but <laughs> I assume they're not fat. Some people who he's talking about. They have social social vulnerabilities that make them fat. Right, okay. All related to an historic lack of access to care and structural racism. Imagine that. We're in the middle of a freaking pandemic, and you got this guy talking about structural racism, and we're basing our strategy of vaccine, life and death vaccines, Mm -hmm. on this stuff. Now, on Facebook, Dave Wedge, who's a a good progressive, was a reporter over the years, has been saying, this is BS. My 81-year-old grandfather can't get a vaccine, can't get a vaccine. Well, Dave, maybe look over here at why he's waiting oh, for a vaccine. Oh, he was in a fight on Twitter with Rachel Rollins over the vaccine Oh, was he? Rollout. Yes. Good, I'm for example, out. 42% of black men and 43% of black women suffer from hypertension, compared to 31% of white men and 27% of white women. Wait a second. I suffer from hypertension, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that why I have to take a pill every day? Yeah. And when I weighed 100 pounds less, I didn't suffer from hypertension. Mm-hmm. So the there's a 10% more black people, he's saying, that suffer from it than white people. Mm-hmm. What is the moral of that story? What am I supposed to take take from that? The structural racism gives them more hypertension than white people? For diagnosed diabetes, Hispanic men are at the highest rate at 14%. Glad you let this guy in, uh, Governor. That's great. Now we all get to play this carefully constructed game of Jenga shoots and ladders and uh, crossword puzzle and maze and everything else. It's can you imagine? Can you imagine what is he doing? And followed by Black women at twelve percent. Twelve percent of Hispanic women develop diabetes. The ne- we want to bring those white numbers up. That way, everybody <laughs> will be. Everybody will be. By far, old people are being killed by this thing. Mm-hmm. That number is 11% for black men. Whites have the lowest rate for developing diabetes across all groups. This pandemic has heightened our consciousness about the underlying disparities born out of these inequities. And I've described this as our national Katrina. In phase two and phase three, when the vaccine... I like that he quoted himself. Well, and just... Uh, giving them to people with comorbidities then would solve the problem, right? Because isn't the idea that black and Latinx people and other BIPOC that they have more comorbidities? So then if you give the vaccine to people with the comorbidities, haven't you then solved the problem? Becomes available to the public. There have been significant investments made to reach black, Latinx, and many other immigrant populations who may be in need of more information to make empowered decisions about getting vaccinated. 
So uh, there's Michael Curry for you. So our entire approach in this state, and you're going to hear Governor mm-hmm. Rickett say this, has been to make sure that we address inequities with the rollout of the vaccine. So what we've done here are yeah. two things. Two things we're doing wrong. One, we're holding back um, vaccinations until you get your second dose. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting till everybody gets their complete doses. So there are doses lying around everywhere in all of these community health centers, etc., just lying there. Even though some of them, 100% of the people will not come back to get the second right, dose and, and, because and there will be some drop off. More than 50% aren't getting the first dose. Right. The people there are many people who aren't interested in. Mm-hmm. The most pe- the people at risk, they should be getting all of the doses right now so that we can stop having 10,000 well, people dead all the time. Well, and not only should it be people at risk if your goal is actually to reduce the number of people dying, which in my view is what it should be. I don't know what what goal what actual measurable goal their goal is but i guess to have the same numbers of white and black people dying at the same time that that would be better you know than just reducing death but um but so if that is your goal then yeah you want to prioritize but once you're having trouble getting people to show up whether because your sign up process is difficult or because you've now run out of people who are interested in getting it you need to move on to the next group of people that wants to get it because the ultimate goal here, the way that you're actually going to reduce the spread of the disease and reduce death is you just need to reach a threshold of a certain percentage of the population vaccinated. And at some point, it doesn't really matter which people they are. It helps everyone to get uh, up to like 65% immunity in the population. So, you know, if you can't get black people to trust you enough to come and take the vaccine, then you need to vaccinate some other people who are willing to take the vaccine instead of not letting the white people get it either. Because because at some point having the right percentage of people vaccinated is going to help the black people too. You know, even we if need it, to be vaccinating everybody who's at the biggest risk of dying from this stuff and if that's all black people and latinx people then that's fine if it's half black and half white that's who cares the people who are gonna die need the vaccinations right effing now rather than have this social experiment in wokeism because you feel guilty about this summer because a cop was a jerk and killed a man in minneapolis for frig's sake this is ridiculous yeah and baker knows it and we're one of the last in the country now we're terrible at this mm-hmm. we're not getting the vaccines out and even though we're trying now we have this new thing where if you don't move your dosage in two weeks then we can call them back sutter said well we can call them back we told people health centers that they're going to lose their vaccines if they don't use them and then she said, but at the same time, it's really hard to move these things around. They have to be refrigerated, et cetera. So that's really mm-hmm. a non-starter. Well, Jesus. You know what? Maybe you-, you should just focus on taking hypodermic needles and sticking them in people's arms and, you know, forget right. the rest of this ridiculous nonsense. Because, I mean, they were throwing vaccines away in New York because of Cuomo's stupid policy. Finally, they loosened up on that. But I had a conversation about this on Twitter with someone last night who said in Dallas County, they decided there were too many white people showing up to get vaccinated right. compared to black people. And the, the, the governor had to step in and say, like, no, 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 we're not turning anyone away who's eligible, who wants to get the vaccine because the race, the racial mix is off. We're not doing that. We're not playing these games. We just need to get a certain percentage of people vaccinated and if that's, you know, young people ordering frittatas in the line outside the vaccine center who have time to wait there all day, then fine. But, you know, if you can't get the minority community to trust you to take the vaccine, then you need to vaccinate someone else. I mean, I think right. we should be trying to vaccinate minority populations, too. What but if-, if if they don't want it, we're not going to hold back somebody else from getting the vaccine. Right. Come on. And, and now 98% of the vaccine has been distributed from the state. To mm-hmm. these community centers, centers and hospitals and pharmacies, etc. Right. So it's now out there and gone, and it's sitting there right. in many, and which is why they had Curry, Michael Curry, come and supposedly try to tell us how he's going to go into communities and tell people it's safe, and he's imploring people of color, please take the vaccine, mm-hmm. but mostly he's lecturing about uh, social justice issues as well. This was a moronic, terrible, and deadly thing that Charlie Baker did here. That this spineless state government did instead of what was supposed to be a serious pandemic about lives you sit around and yell at people for having graduation parties in chelmsford massachusetts and meanwhile you're holding back the freaking vaccination so you can feel good about the 
freaking Black Lives Matter. In Massachusetts, we made some decisions, and I think Michael spoke to this, to focus early on on some hard-to-reach populations, which is different than what many other states did. And I think the reason yeah. we did that was we were concerned that many of these populations were not only hard to reach, they were vulnerable populations, and they were ones that we believed, as part of our overall strategy, we needed to make sure we got to first. And right now, it's a quagmire. We're stuck in the mud, and it's not working. And the entire convoy now is mm -hmm. stuck. And I get the fact that by choosing a number of very targeted communities and populations that we felt we should start with, that would create uh, a slower rollout and a slower ramp up than you would see where you just took big groups by age and said, go. Which should be the strategy. Obviously. I mean, I think, is it Washington or Oregon? I think it's Oregon where there's no verification at all. It's honor system. They tell you what the vulnerable groups are and you sign up for an appointment and they don't check. Right. <laughs> like, and that's what because, it should be. Because it's. I mean, if somebody's that eager to get the vaccine that they're going to lie about it, then, like, fine. At some point, you know, it's, you're better off getting another human vaccinated than you are spending a bunch of time and energy policing it. And we're still doing this two-stage vaccine thing here where these places are holding back one the second booster shot. Right. Meanwhile, the CDC has said, stop doing that. But we're too deeply invested in what is mostly now a social, social justice uh, mission here that we're not going to change. But I do believe at the end of the day, we made the right decision out of the gate. Yeah, right. With the state of Connecticut, I mean, they seem to be doing so, so well, and I'm assuming that many of their priorities... This is the reporter asking, uh, Connecticut's doing it the right way. Why? How come they're beating us? Certainly, New York is nursing homes, healthcare workers. Um, you can check the CDC website. People are keeping score. Massachusetts lags the rest of New England states and New York. Connecticut, to the best of my knowledge, did not put in their initial priorities many of the vulnerable populations that we did. Yeah. Which we said would take longer because of the nature of getting to them. So more yeah, minorities. Connecticut didn't F up like we did. Yeah, we're proud of the way we've done it. <laughs> minorities are going to die because there's still going to be active community spread because we're not going to have herd immunity from the vaccine. Right. Because we are trying to make sure that we do black people first. Because we're trying to uh, have a symbolic performance here instead of getting rid of the pandemic. That's what we're doing now. People keep score on this as if this is a one dose vaccine. It's not. I mean, everybody who gets a first dose needs to get a second dose. And one of the reasons I have said to you many times at these press conferences is the thing I would like the most is more visibility into what's coming next is so that we can make appropriate decisions with high degrees of confidence that the vaccine we put out the door for first doses will work and that we won't need them for second doses at some point a couple of weeks later. That's in some ways one of the greatest challenges I think we all have on this, which is how much of this can you actually first dose with people? You can make estimates, which everybody does, and we've been careful about that. But you can't literally say... As the problem is, is your estimates include a little factor that is not a uh, numerical uh, operator called social justice, which skews the results of any uh, logical um, formulation. Because right. you're adding in a magic concept to the mathematics now. Mm -hmm. And it's turning everything on its head. Meanwhile, dentists, who a lot of people think are absolutely one of the groups that's at the totally at the most risk because they are working directly into somebody's open mouth um, where they're breathing out respiratory particles all over them. Um, they aren't included in this batch of vaccine people. People in prison, yes. You know, homeless people, yes. Dentists, who we depend on, and any dentist will tell you that tooth problems are tied to other health problems in your body. You know, they're healthcare mm -hmm. workers, they're frontline workers, and and they're not um, they're not able to get the vaccine until mm, well, I don't know, but I guess they're just not a diverse enough group. Dentists, no. they don't add any points to our social justice score so no too bad for them i guess. look down the road especially when you have the new head of the cdc saying not exactly sure 
um, you got to be careful about um, about just first dosing and worrying about whether or not not worrying about whether or not you're going to have second doses when you need them 21 and 28 days later. <laughs> Add to that the fact that we've got a huge um, you know percentage of the vaccine lost out in neighborhoods that don't want to take the vaccine right now, right. and we're screwed. Right. I mean. Even the thing, so this was like a debate early on in the rollout because some states decided they wanted to hold back enough to do the second doses just in case, Mm -hmm. you know, production got interrupted or something. And um, other states said, no, we're just going to give them out. And, you know, it is a bit of a gamble because if something goes wrong and Moderna stops being able to put out the vaccine at the pace that they project, then you could run into problems three weeks down the line. But so far, production has been good things seem okay and the first dose does confer significant immunity on its own it takes about two weeks after the shot but then um but then you have a they think it's like 70 something percent immunity from just the first shot and then it's like 95 percent after that but the other thing I was going to say is that the the three weeks is a minimum length of time. They didn't test a longer length of time, so they don't know exactly what the window is supposed to be. But in general, the issue is that you don't want to do them too close together because then your body thinks it's the same infection. You have to like let your body completely clear the first mm-hmm. round of vaccine, you know, get all the antibodies and clear everything and then see it again and go like, oh, it's this thing again. We know how to fight this and do like the second immune response so that you then end up with the stronger immunity. But- well, let's go to somebody who knows what he's talking about <laughs> on this. If you haven't seen in the last few days, and we had some of some audio yesterday, Anthony Fauci has done 843 <laughs> interviews. He's been on every TV station and every show ever known to man in the last few days. And even in the last few days... He's inconsistent. This guy is remarkable. The UK just announced that it's not only more contagious, it's more deadly. How concerning is that? Right. Well, obviously, that's always concerning when you see that. Uh, The data has not come out officially, but taking a look at the preliminary data that the UK scientists have analyzed, I'm pretty convinced that there is a degree of increase in seriousness of the actual infection, which we really have to keep an eye on. Okay, so it's more deadly than the last one, right? It doesn't appear to be more virulent. Okay, so it's not more deadly than the last one. What has been circulating dominantly in the UK does have a certain degree of increase in what we call virulence, namely the power of the virus to cause more damage, including death. It is more deadly. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, said Friday the B-111 strain that was first detected in the UK may be associated with a higher degree of mortality. The day prior, you said it did not. So which is it? Is it more deadly? Well, the data that came out was after they had been saying all along that it did not appear to be more deadly. So that's where we got that information. But when the British investigators looked more closely at the death rate of a certain age group, they found that it was one to per thousand, we'll say, and then it went up to 1.3 per thousand in a certain group. So that's a significant increase. So the most recent data is in accord with what the Brits are saying. We want Okay, then it is. There are some concerning variants. There's one in the UK, and we have that right now in the United States. It appears to be transmitted more efficiently. It doesn't appear to be more virulent. Okay, it's not. Now it's not more virulent, except when it is more virulent, right? The UK just announced that it's not only more contagious, it's more deadly. How concerning is that? Right. Well, obviously, that's always concerning when you see that. Uh, The data has not come out officially, but taking a look at the preliminary data that the UK scientists have analyzed, I'm pretty convinced that there is a degree of increase in seriousness of the actual infection, which we really have to keep an eye on. Okay, it's more serious. It doesn't appear to be more virulent. Okay, it's not more virulent. I don't know. I don't know which one it is anymore. I don't know. (laughs) As you know... His goal is to get 100 million people vaccinated within the first 100 days of his presidency. Back again to 100 million people. Mm -hmm. 
Now it's back 100 million people we have to get. It's not 100 million vaccines, 100 million people. I mean, I feel fairly confident that that's going to be not only that, but maybe even better. You know, the president, he has promised 100 million doses in the first 100 days. Strahan gets him back, you know, fixes him and says, no, 100 million doses, 100 million doses. That's what you mean, right? That's what you mean? The goal that was set by the president of getting 100 million people vaccinated in the first 100 days is quite a reasonable goal. All right. 100 million people. That's good. I think that's probably considered excellent, right? As you know, his goal is to get 100 million people vaccinated within the first 100 days of his presidency. I mean, I feel fairly confident that that's going to be not only that, but maybe even better. You know, the president, he has promised 100 million doses in the first 100 days. The goal that was set by the president of getting 100 million people vaccinated in the first 100 days is quite a reasonable goal. All right, that's good. On the vaccines, you just drove home that point of how important it is to get this out there. I want to play some tape here for you and, and get you to clarify when U.S. taxpayers can expect to get their vaccine. At least 100 million COVID vaccine shots into the arms of the American people in the first 100 days. 100 million shots in the first 100 days. You know the goal that's been set, which I believe is entirely achievable, is to have a hundred million people vaccinated million people. in the first hundred days. Both vaccines? Primary and boost. Yes. Primary and, and boost. boost. Yeah. In a hundred days. Yes. Yes. So, Doctor, in that exchange, you seem to be promising a bit more than the president is. Can you just bottom line it? How many people will be fully vaccinated within a hundred yeah. days? Yeah, so, so let me clarify that because there was a little bit of a misunderstanding. Um, what we're talking about is... There was a misunderstanding. As there is a wind that flies by, <laughs> passes by, and blows the trees, it wasn't that he screwed up. There was a misunderstanding. A hundred million shots in individuals. Yes. So a shots, as in other words, when you get down to... hundred million shots in individuals. The goal that was set by the president of getting a hundred million people vaccinated in the first hundred days... Is quite a reasonable goal. So is it reasonable? Like he just said? Or is it not reasonable because that's it's 100 million shots? Fauci seems to think that either one is reasonable. Well, then we should do 100 million people, I would think. Yeah, if they're both totally reasonable, then maybe we should aim for people. As you know, his goal is to get 100 million people vaccinated within the first 100 days of his presidency. I mean, I feel fairly confident that that's going to be not only that, but maybe even better. You know, the president, he has promised 100 million doses in the first 100 days. Michael Strahan, a former NFL football player, he corrects Fauci. Right. You would think that Fauci, this kind of thing, wouldn't just be him misspeaking. This is pretty much what he does, right? This is his thing, the thing he's good at, Fauci. It's knowing about vaccines? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that he's considered somewhat of an expert in them, I would think, uh, given that, I mean, you know, I think he's pretty well paid to know about this stuff. Right? It doesn't appear to me more virulent. What has been circulating dominantly in the UK does have a certain degree of increase in what we call virulence, namely the power of the virus to cause more damage, including death. Boris Johnson, the prime minister. There are some concerning variants. There's one in the UK, and right. we have that right now in the United States. It appears to be transmitted more efficiently. It doesn't appear to be more virulent. You know, it's all the things. It's virulent, it's not virulent. It's 100 million, it's 67 million. It's days, it's people, it's uh, vaccinations. It's all the things. He's Anthony Fauci. He can say anything. For some reason, he's now a religion, and you're not allowed to question anything he says. This guy is... He, he, I was not look, going looking for this stuff today. Right. The joke was... Alice found the audio. The joke was that he kept being on TV. So I got a whole bunch batch of him being on the TV this weekend, and this guy cannot keep his stuff straight from show to show. He was on at least two more shows this morning. I think he was on Good Morning America, and um, what's the other one he was on? I forget. He was he was everywhere. he was on maybe today. I forget, but uh, he he's everywhere. He's on every show. He's been on that. Now he's also been trashing Trump. Burks has been very, mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, she's kept her cards close to her chest and hasn't said anything nasty about Trump, really. But Oh, uh, no, but he is having Fauci, a great time with blessed. Rachel Maddow. Rachel, I've been wanting to come on your show for months and months. You've been asking me to come on your show for months and months, and it's just gotten blocked. That's, I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. It's just got blocked. Fire this idiot immediately. <laughs> Can you imagine? By the way, it just got blocked. Fauci. You do 67 TV hits a day. <laughs> yeah, maybe they just wanted to cut you off around. Yeah, maybe like... you're supposedly supposed to be doing something else. You have an office and like a pen and a computer. And and, some, and his salary like, was for, in the For news. his, he doesn't really need a lab coat. He's right. not a, he needs to, you know, TV makeup. He makes what? He makes like $417,000 a $417,000 a year. Which is, according to the article that we read, makes him the highest paid federal employee in the United States. Because they didn't like the way you handle things and they didn't want me on there. I mean, it was so clear when we sent it down. Why would you want to go and make your Rachel Maddow show? Well, because I like her and she's really good. It doesn't make any difference. Why is this idiot talking like this? But it doesn't make any I like her, and she's really good. I just love Maddow. She was great with the IRS stuff on Trump and all the Russian stuff. She was great with that stuff. Why is this moron anywhere, anywhere near this? <laughs> don't do it. I don't think you're going to see that now. I think you're going to see a lot of transparency. You know, you might not see everybody as often as you want, but you're not going to see deliberate holding back of good people when the press asks for them. You're sure uh, going to see a lot of Fauci, that's for right, sure. Right, but how does he know what the hell, what's his position in the administration where he's in the know on what who's going to be held back from where? He's not. He works in a different building. No, he's right, Supposedly. Else. I think it's right now he works in CNN. I don't know. I mean, we were assured that that's the case. You know, and that goes along with what you were mentioning before about different types of pressures that are put on. Uh, it, it 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 was a tough situation. It really was. Jesus, this guy is, is a shameless, shameless opportunist hack, bureaucratic hack, man, man. But you know that finally we do the community. He is right. The communication shop for the for the White House is uh, fully staffed by the bastions of integrity. Jen Psaki, and they're cool again. Cool is back at the White House. It's been mm -hmm. a while since we had the coolness of Tommy Vitar and, and Ben Rhodes and all those people. Cool is back. Jen Psaki asked people to ask her questions on uh, Twitter, and she answered them today. First feline updates would be greatly appreciated. I'm also wondering about the cat, because the cat is going to dominate the internet whenever the cat is announced and when, wherever that cat is found. They're getting a new cat. You see the cool, like, uh, contemplative fun music it oh, sounds wow. like one of the one of those uh montages that uh, that iphones make for you with your memories you know it's hopeful mm -hmm. music president biden is a big ice cream fan so does that giant freezer full of ice cream really exist i have not found it and i have worked here before when i was in wilmington before the president was inaugurated i did ask him for my four-year-old niece soraya who was very curious about what his favorite ice cream was and his favorite ice cream was chocolate chip so that is my uh my update for all of you on that but i have not found the freezer yet you know what? On matters of ice cream, this is the most transparent administration I have ever, ever witnessed. Right. Did you know Trump's favorite ice cream flavor? No. See? Oh, there actually, you go. He, vanilla, right? I don't, I don't know. I know that he, we, all we knew was that he got to have two scoops and you, <laughs> he made you have one because he was mean. The, the answer to what was Trump's favorite ice cream is he's a mean jerk. That was what the media told us about Trump. Um, so, uh, Steve Ducey, is it Steve? Peter Ducey. Peter, Peter Ducey. Peter Ducey did get a question in about the travel ban. Listen to this. Here's your most transparent, um, White House ever. Peter Ducey is a one-man media team right now. He is doing all the question asking. When President Trump was imposing travel restrictions in March, specifically on China, then candidate Biden called it xenophobic and fear-mongering. So now President Biden is putting travel restrictions on people coming in from other countries. What word do we use to describe that? Well, I don't 
think that's quite a fair articulation. Uh, the president has been clear that he felt the Muslim ban was xenophobic. He overturned the Muslim ban. But that's not what he was talking about last yeah, year. Yeah, he specifically He's retweeted Trump's tweet about closing the borders with China right. over COVID. So she doesn't feel that's a fair articulation. So what she's going to do is answer a different question because that question's a tough one to answer. That direct quote uh, is not a fair articulation. No. He also, though, has uh, supported, um, and he himself, even before, or we did, I should say, even before he was inaugurated, steps, uh, travel restrictions in order to keep the American people safe. Uh, to right, and that's what we're asking about. He called the last guy's restrictions xenophobic, so can you address that? Sure that uh, we are getting the pandemic under control. That's been part of his... Oh, but Trump was getting xenophobic. <laughs> Biden's just getting the pandemic under control. It's interesting. All you have to do is just simply read the person's heart and you know. Mm -hmm. No, Trump just wants Asians to not be allowed in the country. <laughs> we know. He's saying that there's a coronavirus. No, no. He's just, it's all hate. Policy. But he was critical of the former president for having a policy that was not more comprehensive than travel restrictions. And he conveyed at the time and more. Which also has nothing to do with the question you asked. It was xenophobic because... It wasn't more wasn't restrictive. Broad reaching enough, correct. <laughs> or recently, the importance of having a multifaceted approach mask wearing, vaccine distribution, funding in order to uh, get 100 million shots in the arms of Americans in the first 100. Well, she's down to 100 million shots, okay. Which was all Trump thresholds, by yeah, the way. So, what this she is... meant too is um, I guess it means that Trump was xenophobic because he wasn't telling people to wear masks. At the time when we were all being told not to wear masks, including by St. Fauci, was telling us not to wear masks at the time when the travel ban was still xenophobic. So there you go. Now I'm going to say We've something. We've all learned something about xenophobia today. I'm going to say something unpopular, else. Okay. Joe Biden today, we just saw, we heard uh, Charlie Baker today, Charlie Parker today, as you say. Joe Biden today also did a little Q&A after a talk on something, COVID stuff or whatever it was. I'm not sure. He signed an executive order on I forget what, but anyway. So he took questions from pre-approved people, you know, mm -hmm. Len from NBC. And though the questions were absolutely lame in a tongue bath, here's an example of one of the questions – Thank you, Mr. President. Annie Linsky with The Washington Post. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about one of the sort of major themes of your campaign and how you sort of intend to measure and enact it, and that is the idea of, of unity. If you could talk a little bit about what you see unity as being. There are some people who are defining it as being bipartisan. Others are saying it is what most so I've teed it up for you. Uh, feel free to hit this right out of the park. This is just conceptual. It's what you feel unity <laughs> is. That's the hard news question I have about policy procedures, the day-to-day -day in your agenda that we'd like to know. Just unity, which actually we all were very pleased with. It made us all feel very warm. Cudley, can you just expand on that a little bit more <laughs> for us? Anything will do. The people in the country defined by some poll might believe, um, or any sort of number, of, or perhaps it's 50 plus 1, or 50 plus 2, or 75 percent. So <laughs> I don't know. I just love mostly, sir. <laughs> Given that it is such a key part of your message and your promise, can you talk and reflect a little bit more about what is unity when you see it and as you define it? What is unity? I think it makes up several of the issues, the points you made. One is unity requires you to take away, eliminate the vitriol. Make anything that you disagree with about the other person's personality or their lack of integrity or they're not decent legislators and the like. So he's going so a little bit slow. So we have to get rid of that. And I think that's already beginning to change, but God knows where things go, number one. Unity also is trying to reflect what the majority of the American people, Democrat, Republican, Independent, think is within the fulcrum of what needs to be done to make their lives and the lives of Americans better. For example, if you look at the data and I'm not claiming the polling data to be exact, but if you look at the data, 
You have, I think it's, I, I hope I'm saying it, I guess, Craig, you may correct me if I get the number wrong. I think it's 57, 58 percent of the American people, including Republicans, Democrats and independents, think that we have to do something about the COVID vaccine. We have to do something about making sure that people. Yada, who are yada, yada. It goes on like this. goes on like this. So this is what I want to say. However pathetic the question was, and it was, and most of the questions were pathetic. Biden's answer, in his answers to almost everything, I missed one that was about teachers' unions where I believe he coughed it up. But I watched him for 20 minutes today, Joe Biden, um, of that presser. And this is the best Joe Biden has ever been. And I've been watching him for a long time, since 1988. What we saw today was the best that Joe Biden has ever, ever been. I was blown away by how measured he was, how um, he had, he wasn't uh, bomb throwing. He didn't snipe. He was thoughtful, as thoughtful as he can be. He's, you know, he's slowed down, certainly. But it was Joe Biden's finest 20 minutes that I have ever seen. He was very, very good. Now, remember, these are all, it's all meatball questions. So, you know, it's not as if it's a hostile press. And I, he just he was excellent, and he was explaining things in a way that uh, so that people could understand. He was talking to uh, the people, the uh, the people who were watching, who maybe weren't familiar with politics. He wasn't lecturing or acting professorial like Obama used to. He was really, and maybe it's the fact that he's just older and slowed down a bit. Maybe those instincts to. I don't know. I haven't seen. I didn't see this from him last week. I didn't see him from him last year, two years ago, five years ago, thirty years ago. I have not seen this guy. He did a very good job up there, and because there were softballs, I said, "Okay, it's fine. They're softballs." But just as they're wrapping the, as they're wrapping the um, presser up, you know, it always happens. They tr- they wrap the presser up. The communications people say, "All right, everybody, we'll see you. Bye bye. Go. Bye bye. We'll see you, everybody." And they wrap everybody up and they truly push the cameras out, etc. Biden takes one more question, and this is from a guy who you've just heard from when he was just talking to Jen Psaki. I think we can get it done. Now wait, 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 wait. I I know he always asks me tough questions. And he always has an edge to them, but I like him anyway. So go ahead and ask the, answer, ask the question. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, so you just said that you think within three weeks or so we'll be at the point where there are a million vaccines per day. But it seems like... No, I think we'll get there before that. I said, I hope I misspoke. I hope we'll be able to increase as we go along until we get to the million five a day. That's my, my hope. And then my, the follow-up to that would be, uh, now that you're president and you're saying there is nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months, what happened to two months ago when you were talking declaratively about, I am going to shut down the virus? So that's Peter Ducey again and asks a tough question, a question that is a bit, a bit antagonistic. You know, it's kind of a – it's a – Little gotcha. It's a very fair question, absolutely, because he's Biden has to reconcile a couple of statements here. Well, I'm going to shut down the virus, but not. I never said I'd do it in two months. I said it took a long time to get here. It's going to take a long time to beat it. And so we have millions of people out there who are who have the virus. We're just for the first day, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've been doing other things this morning, speaking with foreign leaders. But one of the things I think this is one of the first days that the numbers actually come down, the number of deaths and the number on a daily basis and the number of hospitalizations, et cetera. It's going to take time. It's going to take a heck of a lot of time. And we still have, as Dr. Fauci constantly points out, it's one thing when we have mass, how can I say it politely, mass disregard of the warnings about not wearing masks and wearing masks and and social distancing and failure to social distance and people getting together on holidays in ways that weren't recommended, et cetera. We see, first thing that happens is we see the, uh, the number of infections go up. Then you see the hospitalizations go up. Then you see the deaths go up. And so we're, we're in this for a while. I mean, we're, what are we now? About 410,000 deaths? 
And there's going to be more. The prediction, as I said from the very beginning of getting here, as after being sworn in, was the prediction is where we're going to see somewhere between a total of 600,000 and 660,000 deaths before we begin to turn the corner in a major way. So, and again, remember, the vaccine, most of the people taking the vaccine, a vast significant number, require two shots, and they are an average of three weeks apart. And it takes time for it to be sure that you're at, you get to that 95% assurance rate. And so it's beginning to move, but I'm confident we will beat this. We will beat this, but we're still going to be talking about this in the summer. We're still going to be dealing with this issue in the early fall. And last point I'll make, and I know you're tired of hearing me saying it. Particularly, you may be tired of hearing me saying it, and that is that if we wear masks between now and the end of April, the experts tell us we can save 50,000 lives, 50,000 people otherwise would die. Thank you so very much. I don't know about the 50,000 or whatever, and I understand that there's a lot of politics in what he said. But he took the question from Ducey, who he knew was going to ask a tough question. He knew that he'd gotten meatball questions. And that was a good top move to take a tough question. Because you would have had people like me and others saying, wow, the guy goes in there and is untouched. He has been doing politics long enough that this is a guy who can take tough questions. He knows how to handle himself with the press. And it's good that he uh, that he was uh, sure to uh, to take uh, questions from from more um, uh, confrontational news news uh, outlets. He should do that more. He should even take the OAN questions. You know, as long as they're not from people with uh, antlers, he should take he should take more tough questions. Doesn't do anything. Those kind of things. You know what that does? That unites more. If you uh, you know, it, it, it's harder to just go with the the accurate narrative that the media is totally in the bag for the president when you know he's, he takes a little bit of heat out there so that is good stuff now we are going to push the um run dmc and and uh oh yeah here's somebody alice you still right there no no emergency child intervention so, um, but so I'll push the Run DMC stuff and the other thing out uh, for tomorrow. Alice has to work tonight. So, uh, by the way, I don't want you to think that I'm going out and buying uh, aviator glasses, and uh, you know I'm going to start, uh, you know, have it get a picture of Jill Biden from my background. But it, I want to give the guy credit when he had a good moment. Oh, there you are, and that was good. That was good. Today was, and you didn't get to hear it, Alice. But today, Joe Biden was very good. You, you'll hear. It. But uh. And I'm just, I like that. I think it's positive. I think we need more of that stuff. Do you want to do the David French thing before we go, or should we just uh, take off? Um, I know that you're, we may be um, attacked again. Uh, we might be okay. Oh, oh, sorry, you're not on. Go ahead. We might be okay right now. I can I can read the David French thing <clears throat> if you want, Major. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I had to do some work stuff, too, at the same time. I can't get freaking... Oh. What's it called? I can't get um, Slack to make a loud enough noise when I when I need it okay. to. By the way, I'll be on WTIC tomorrow from nine to eleven. WTIC ten eighty in Hartford, Connecticut, from nine, nine to, to noon. <laughs> nine to noon. That's right. I know. I know what time to stay there till. <laughs> um, hanging out with those folks, um, and so f- feel free to listen. And let me see. I just wanted to see if there was one other thing that we were supposed to mention that I left on the on the cutting room floor. And let's see. What are we missing? Anything? Missing anything? Missing anything? And uh, this we've just got. Uh, we've got Biden, which I watched where he was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to briefly talk about the Ned Ryan article too about Zuckerberg. Oh, good. Um, which is basically um, through FOIA requests and stuff, it has come to light that Zuckerberg donated um, a bunch of money to a 
501c3 nonprofit um, that it's it's a nonpartisan, nonpolitical nonprofit, but this particular nonprofit is the Center for Technology and Civic Life. Normally, its operating budget is a million dollars a year. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg in 2020 donated $350 million to them. So I would say that's a bit of an increase from their typical budget. And um, I'm sure you'd be curious to know what they do, this nonprofit, the Center for Technology and yes, Civic Life. Yes, what do they do? They are, um, they help uh, state and municipal and whoever federal people manage elections. So they help um, add ballot drop boxes. Yes, yeah, so I assume help people fill I, out ballots. Thinking I know what kind and, of people we're talking about. Um, yeah, so uh, they um, they spent a, quite a bit of money in this election. Mark Zuckerberg altogether donated over four hundred million dollars to election related nonprofits. So these are not considered political donations. They're not covered by elections law because. They're considered non-political. They're non-partisan. This group doesn't, um, you know, help a party, supposedly. However, um, they spent money in areas of Wisconsin like Racine, Green Bay, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Kenosha, Madison. In Philadelphia, um, they paid election judges and other election um, officials to help mandate that they increase their number of polling locations and use drop boxes and mobile pickup units for ballots. Um his money allowed them to cure absentee ballots and in in the area of Philadelphia specifically to have election workers go out and have people help fix absentee ballots that had a problem. The signature was wrong or they weren't filled out correctly or whatever after the election frequently. Um, in Democrat Delaware County, Pennsylvania, one drop box was placed every four square miles for every 4,000 voters. In the 59 counties carried by Trump in Pennsylvania, there was one drop box for every 1,100 square miles. And you might say, well, oh, people live further apart there. But it was one drop box for every 72,000 voters compared to one for every 4,000 in the Philadelphia area. Altogether, they spent $47 per vote in areas um, in, where that are Democrat areas, like ninety percent Democratic voting areas, and only four to seven dollars per vote in Republican areas. It's nice to have friends in Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, I would say so. So it's really uh, they also did work in Georgia. Here, sixteen million dollars in grant money to local election uh, officials in Fulton, Cobb, and Gwinnett counties. And some have observed that these looked like Democratic get-out-the-vote efforts more than good government efforts to protect the integrity of the electoral process of all Americans. Dang. So, I really... This is an article by Ned Ryan in, in um, American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Um, that's where you can find this. But I was kind of blown away by this article. And, and just thinking about how do you... How do you do something about that? How is that um, a force that you can fix when the government is working together with nonprofits that are funded by left-wing people and specifically providing? I mean, talk about, you know, we talk about Stacey Abrams uh, saying that, you know, black people haven't had as good access to, to voting infrastructure right. and all this stuff. And that may have been true historically, you know, in the Jim Crow South, that black people, voting was made more difficult for black people than it was for white people. But it sounds uh, from this that the money of left-wing Silicon Valley billionaires was used to make voting much easier for Democrats than it was for Republicans. Right, which is another reason why when you think, when you feel good about making the, putting the Black Lives Matter avatar on, et cetera, you know, this is all fundraising and it's about influence. And mm -hmm. it, you've empowered these forces, these social justice forces now to be able to shake down uh, these Silicon Valley uh, geeks because they're scared to death of this yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, Facebook worked proudly with Obama in 2008. Oh, yeah. used to talk about it all the time. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't uh, know what, do you, what can but, be done about that, though. I don't know what though. can be done about it either. I mean, we got, you know, Sheldon Adelson is dead. Other than that, they can put our own, the, the right can put its own boxes up somewhere. It, I, I mean, they're allowed to give to whoever they want to give to. The, the fact that this was FOIA is not a very, it does not uh, ring of transparency, certainly. 
Yeah. So it was FOIA because, you know, the, this nonprofit is working directly with the governments. I mean, and you say, like, they can give their money to whatever they want, but um, I have concerns when the the giving the money is going to a government organization and it's favoring some government organizations over others in order specifically to tip an election. Because that's what this seems like. I mean, it's certainly much more yeah. influential than the... You know, tens of thousands of dollars Russia might have spent on Facebook ads in Wisconsin in 2016, possibly. I don't know. But I I mean, and, and sure, Republicans should do the same thing and, you know, try and do similar things. But but I have a feeling that also most election officials and government officials are going to be less willing to work with, you know, the Koch brothers, like think about our Massachusetts towns where we live. Are they going to take Koch brothers money to put up a bunch of extra ballot drop boxes? Um, probably not. I mean, it depends. The Koch brothers are changing a little bit or the brother is changing a little bit. But yeah, probably not. Uh, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. But. So, I mean, I think that government officials tend to lean left anyway and that... I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is at all. And you see, like, the left sets up these nonprofits that do things like this, but the right sets up nonprofits, um, you know, in the Obama years, and they all get audited by the IRS. And more than audited by the IRS, the the IRS gives information on these groups to other departments of the Obama administration's government that then goes after them, OSHA and all these other people. They're, you know, getting inspected left and right and fined for things and harassed, essentially, by the government for starting a, a right-wing nonprofit organization that does, say, you know, pushes for voter ID laws or something. But... um yeah, I don't know. I was I was discouraged by this article and thinking about what a big difference that made and and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if the answer is somehow beefing up um you know, local government's ability to fund these things without taking money from nonprofits or something, but I I don't know. I don't know. It seems to me that if there's a racial disparity in the areas that were targeted by this, which it sounds like there was, that you have a civil rights case, possibly. I don't know. Well, think about it. If you did the opposite, if you only beefed up white areas, if you improved ballot access only for areas that were predominantly white, uh, do you think there would be a bit of a problem yeah, I guess that is inequity, actually, right? That used to be a big word. I mean, word. it is. It is. It, I would think it is. If you gave more ballot boxes in white areas of the of of a state, then that would run afoul of of the Voting Rights Act, right? So I don't know. So I, I mean, it seems odd to me. It seems odd to me that this is allowed, but I also don't see exactly the mechanism for which it wouldn't be allowed. So I'm I'm confused. If you any of our listeners have ideas about. About how something like that should be handled. I'm curious to hear them because it wasn't something I'd really thought about. I wasn't thinking that, you know, our state and local governments were relying on were relying on Mark Zuckerberg to run elections. And I'm disturbed by it. So Well, it's, well also 2020 was uh, the year where everything went upside down. I mean, you can call it a racial reckoning, but that's not what happened in 2020. It was a, as commentary people say, it was a great unraveling. And institutions and norms, which used to be something oh. important, and all that stuff was just uh, turned on its head, and mm-hmm. it it was a craziness. And to have the social justice stuff infused into everything we talk about right now is to be naive of history and is to be um, counterproductive f- uh, culturally and politically. And it, you know, just existentially day to day. This is stupidity, uh, you know, gone crazy. And uh, it's fine. I'm okay. I'm going to be happy. We're not going to do David French else. It's, it's time has come. It doesn't matter. All it was is David French saying and another Republican apologized to him about the voting for Trump and saying that he should suck it up and not be a baby about it because David French has been threatened and his family's been threatened by a bunch of bigots and antler people and all that kind of stuff. So that's all it was. But we have um, a whole bunch. We're going to get another big show tomorrow. We got so much good stuff uh, happening here. 
I am optimistic. I'm optimistic, Alice. I'm one step closer to getting my uh, vaccination, unless we already had the disease, in which case I don't care. I'm getting it again. I think, um, actually, they have said that if you had it, which I don't know, I guess Mm -hmm. we'd have to get an antibody test to know if we've had it, and those aren't especially accurate. But um, they're saying if you've had it, you shouldn't get the vaccine because there's no... They're it's not they're not showing any benefit to getting the vaccine that it doesn't improve your immunity. I want a free syringe hit. (laughs) Taking it. Let's do shots, honey. All right. um, This has been the Burn Barrel Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Burn Barrel Pod, Facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast. Um, You can send us an email with your ideas about election integrity. That's burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out our YouTube channel. It's Tom Shattuck's Burn Barrel on YouTube. Uh, You can see video versions of our podcast there. You can like, comment, and subscribe. C'est la vie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.